Rachel. And I'm Nicole. And we are the Spectre Sisters. So um, I realized in our last episode that we actually forgot to shout out the social media. So Nicole's going to do it right now. So follow us on Instagram at the Spectre Sisters and follow us on Twitter at Spectre Sisters. Thank you so much, Nicole. So before we start our episode, I have a question for you. Do you believe in extraterrestrial life? Yes, Rachel, I believe in extraterrestrials. Why? Because the universe is so big, there has to be some other life form out there. You know, I agree with you. In a November 2013 study, astronomers based out of the Kepler Space Mission recorded data that there could be as many as 40 billion Earth-sized planets orbiting in a habitable zone. So this is 40 million potential Earths that we could have out there. So with like this many planets that could hold life, I feel like it's kind of stupid to not think that somewhere out there, there's some sort, like, some form of extraterrestrial life. Do they have water? Some of them probably have water. Okay, then I want to live there. Oh. (laughs) So, yeah, after, um, that note, let's get into our episode. Today, we are going to be talking about the Roswell incident. You know what that is? No. Well, let me start. Um, on... June 14, 1947, a rancher named W.W. Mac Brazel and his son Vernon were driving across their ranch land that was located some 80 miles northwest of Roswell, New Mexico. So they had a ranch? Yeah, they had a ranch. What did they grow? Because it's literally the desert. I have no idea what they grew in the desert in 1947. Maybe they made ranch dressing. Oh, I see that. Mac's ranch dressing. That sounds kind of good. Mac and Vernon. Mac and Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> Mac and Vernon's ranch dressing. But um, they were driving across their ranch land, and they captured something that they'd never seen before. Okay, in Mac's own words, it was a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tin foil, and a rather tough paper and sticks. End quote. So... They found a metallic-looking, lightweight fabric that was scattered and shredded across the gravel and sand and the brush of the New Mexico ranch desert. Like, was this fabric fabric or, like, this tinfoil? I mean, he described it as, like, a lightweight fabric, but it was, wasn't anything that he ever saw. Like, he used tinfoil as, like, a word to compare it to because he said it was, like, something out of this world. Like, <laughs> stop. Mac and Vernon's dressing. I would totally buy that, but, like... That's really weird. Yeah. Well, Mac didn't know what to do with the newfound items, and he didn't even have an idea as to how they landed on his property. So on July 4th, he and his family all went back out to where he found the stuff, um, and they gathered pieces of the mysterious wreckage. So he waited a while. Yeah, he waited a couple days, you know. Maybe he just kind of, like, forgot about it, or he had, like, more pressing matters, but then it kind of started weighing on him, like, hey, I found this. I would have, like, collected that right away, because, like, you don't know what it is, and you don't know if it's valuable. Well, like, maybe he just didn't have time, or, like, he knew that he would need all of his family, and his family just, you know, couldn't find a time to do it. Okay, that kind of makes sense. It was 1947. It was a different time. The sound of music wasn't even out by then. I love how that's your point of reference, when the sound of music came out. But, yeah, on July 7th, he drove all of the things that he collected to Roswell, and he delivered it to Sheriff George Wilcox. 
I would just say things like a pawn shop to see how a much pawn shop. <laughs> this is this isn't pawn stars. Like, hey, uh, how much can I get for these uh, pieces of tinfoil? Five cents. <laughs> it's nineteen forty-seven, so I'll take it. But um, Sheriff Wilcox, he was also confused, and he had no idea what he was looking at. So you know, everybody that was involved in this act to this point, they all wanted answers. So they contacted. Colonel Blanchard, and Colonel Blanchard was the commander of the Roswell Airfield's 509th Composite Group, and this was located just outside of town. So, like, what were they supposed to do? I don't know, maybe they knew what it was. Like, they were the highest authority available to them. It could have literally been anything. Yeah, but they just wanted to know, like, what is this that landed in my ranch? They just wanted to know, like... What is it? Is it dangerous? Should I have, like, not touched it? Is it worth any money? Did I strike gold? Yes. The most important thing is if it's worth any money. Yes. Is it worth any money? I, honestly, I would have gotten a punch up. You're not wrong. I would have gotten a nickel for it, and then I would have taken my wife out for, I don't know, some dinner and go to a Nickelodeon. To a Nickelodeon, yes, correct. Well, um, Colonel Blanchard had no idea what it was. He was stumped. So he brought it to an even higher authority, and he decided to contact his superior, General Roger W. Ramsey, and he was the commander of the Eighth Air Air. Oh, sorry, I can't speak. He was the commander of the Eighth Air Force in Fort Worth, Fort Worth, Texas. That that's like a tongue twister. You guys try saying that. Commander of the Eighth Airfield in Fort Worth, Texas. What? <laughs> What are they supposed to do? They're in Texas. Well, we were in New Mexico until now. So New Mexico was more like podunk than Texas. So were they just like about to go up in airplanes and just look for the strange materials? I have no idea like why they just kept going up the chain of command. I think it was just like curiosity. Like, hey, do you know what this was? I would have probably just ignored it. If someone just came into my town and was just like, yeah, I found this stuff in my fields. Like, so what should I do with this? Yeah. Well, Colonel Blanchard also reached out to Major Jesse Marceau, and he was an intelligence officer from his own base. So he told um, Major Marcel to go out and investigate what happened thoroughly. So he looked at the pieces, and he went out to the ranch to see what was up. Was there, like, DNA testing to see if someone left it? I think DNA testing was still very primitive back in those days, and I don't think they even had the idea to do that, because they were just so struck by, like, what this thing was that they didn't think for, think about DNA. Okay, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, like, they, they were just like, what the hell is this? Like, they weren't really thinking, They're, they just wanted to know, like, what is this? Yeah, and if it was worth any money, of course. Yeah. So, um, Major Marcel, the sheriff, and Mac went back to the ranch. They collected more pieces of the wreckage that they could find, and they tried to figure out what this was. Marcel chose to make a public statement on July 8th. So all of this happened in, the, like, the span of a day. Like, on the 7th, he went to the sheriff officially. And then on the 8th, Marcel was already to uh, make a public statement. Dang, they move fast. Yeah, they move really fast for 1947, Loki. So on July 8th, comments, Marcel's comments ran in the local afternoon newspaper, the Roswell Daily Record. Okay, and it ran with this headline, RAAS, which stands for Roswell Army Airfield, captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell. Fake news, my guy, fake news. Well, 
they, yeah, because they didn't really like they captured something like they had something, but we have no idea if it was a flying saucer. And also, it was eighty miles northwest of Roswell, so like, do your city limits expand that far, guys? I mean, it was eighty miles outside. Roswell. Eighty miles is a lot of miles. Yeah, it it's it's a lot of miles. So yeah, low key fake news, but the meat. Everybody ate this up. Okay. So, like, the story, like, that was just the title. The body of the story contained dramatic and memorable sentences. I'm going to read you a sentence from the story. The intelligence office of the 509th Bombardment Group at Roswell Army Airfield announced at noon today that the field had come into the possession of a flying saucer. So that's just, like, one sentence from this very outlandish story. But, I mean, people will read it. Yeah, like, that's all that matters to them. Like, good job, guys. Like, Clickbait before it was, like, a thing. <laughs> Good job. But, yeah, everybody went crazy because of this. So, yeah, um, after this, um, Marcel, Major Marcel, he retracted his statement, and he said that the crash was only a wet balloon. So this is, like, the first retractment to the story. So I feel kind of bad, because I feel like the army guys, like, they pressured like, you better change your story. Okay, you guys can't see this at home, but I'm, like, I just have a ruler in Nicole's face. Yeah, she's really scaring me right now. I don't, the ruler gives me power, guys. Okay? The ruler gives me power. But anyways, what's a weather balloon? That's a good question. Okay? And we're going to get to that a little later. Okay? So, like, everybody immediately, like, after he retracted his story and he said, nope, it's a weather balloon, everybody had, like, some serious doubts. Okay? Like, the newspaper, it ran photographs of what they found and nobody thought that it looked like a weather balloon. Like, they'd never seen anything like it. Okay? So some people believe, and, like, some people still believe, that some kind of extraterrestrial vehicle crashed down to Earth. Yes, and it just happened to be a flying saucer, not a weather balloon. Yes. Okay? So that's what happened at Roswell. That's the Roswell incident. And to this day, people still claim that what crashed in Roswell was extraterrestrial, then Roswell's actually made a whole economy out of this. Like, if you, even if you just Google Roswell, you'll get thousands of pictures. They have an alien museum. Everything is extraterrestrial-based, like, spaceship-based. Everything, everything. So they've made an economy. They're like the Disney world of extraterrestrials. Stonks. Yeah, stonks. Like, good for them. Like, they made something out of this weird accident that happened in 1947. I mean, I'd go to the alien museum. Yeah, I'd go to the Alien Museum, too. Okay, so, like, they just made a whole thing. So, let's get into some theories as to what actually happened in Roswell in 1947. What do you, well, first, what do you, what do you think happened, Nicole? What do you think it was? What if the weather balloon popped and then it was just that? Yeah, that's, like, that's a very valid, I have no idea what I think about this. Like, I'm really conflicted, because, like, the conspiracy theorist part of me wants to believe that it was aliens, but, like, the rational part of me, like, knows, like, it probably wasn't aliens. Yeah, probably just an exaggerated news story. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, so theory one, my favorite theory, real aliens. Several people claim to have seen debris scattered all over the area, and one person reported seeing a bizarre aircraft in the sky shortly before it crashed. So somebody claimed that they saw, like, some kind of unidentified flying object. So, yeah. Um, a key account came from a former mortician 
Glenn Dennis, who claimed in 1989, so this is like a lot of years. Oh, this was after The Sound of Music came out. Yes. So this was 42 years. I don't know, 47, 8, 9, yeah, 42 years after the incident. So Glenn Dennis, um, he claimed that a friend who worked at a nurse, who worked as a nurse at the Roswell Airfield had accidentally walked into an examination room where doctors were bent over the bodies of three creatures. They apparently resembled humans, but with small bodies, thinly arms, and giant bald heads. So, like, I don't know how much I believe this story, because he came out with this, like, 42 years after the events happened, and he wasn't even there. Like, this is the story of a friend. Man could have just been having, like, a schizophrenia attack or something. I, I don't want to say that. Like, we don't know, and I don't, I don't want to, like you know, highlight um, mental illness in a negative note. Like, we don't know what he was, what was going on with him, but it seems kind of fishy to me. Like, this is, like, a friend story. Like, oh, yeah, you know, my friend, uh, he saw this. And, like, he didn't, like, ever name the friend, so the friend couldn't confirm or deny this story. It's basically my cousin knew this other cousin who knew another cousin that saw this. Yeah, that's basically what it was. Um, in 1994, Ray Santilli a London-based entrepreneur released footage of an alien autopsy performed in Roswell in 1947. This is, like, the footage that, like, anyone who's researched or, like, searched for Roswell, like, they've come across at least, like, a picture from this footage or, like, they've been able to see the footage. I've seen the footage. Um, it's, it, it, it's something, okay? Well, experts immediately ridiculed the footage as a hoax, and he admitted years later that it was almost entirely fake. So, yeah, and, like, you can tell from seeing it, like, it, it's pretty staged, not gonna lie. How is it staged, though? Like, I don't know, they made, like, a dummy, or, like, they got a dummy or something. Like, they just got people to, like, play doctors and pretend like they were doing a surgery. The time before Photoshop. Yes, a time before Photoshop, where you actually had to, like, stage things. Like, if you wanted to pretend you were having a good time at the beach, you had to go to the beach. Well, I mean, why would you have a good time? I don't know. I don't have a good time when I go to the beach. I don't like sand or seagulls. I like seagulls. are rats with wings, guys, and I hate them so much. Boardwalking is pretty fire. Yeah, but, like, the seagulls. I hate it when sand gets in my food, period. Yeah. Honestly, like, sand, like, I, I just set, like, a toe on the beach, and, like, there's sand in places where sand should never be, guys. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the beach. Thank you for that. That was way also, too much information. Also, um, also, we used to like live in Long Island, and like I don't know if you guys know what the Montauk Monster is. Maybe we'll cover him or her or it well, later on the show. It could be like a mini episode because there's not that much information. Mm -hmm. But we used to live there at the time where all that happened, and that terrified me, and I never wanted to go to the beach after I saw that. Yeah, even Gaden Maserazzo from Stranger Things talked about it. Yeah, because um, lots of the Montauk Monster story has to do with like some of the plot of Stranger Things. So yeah, after that story, watching Jaws, just the ocean is not a friendly place, guys. The ocean is mysterious. But I'm not telling you to be afraid of the ocean. I'm telling you to be afraid of the ocean. Run the other way. Go somewhere else, but don't go to the woods. The woods is worse. I mean Or the middle of the right, desert. Right. Just, or a city, just I don't know. Just lock yourself in your bunker and listen to the podcast, guys. Yeah, stay in quarantine, my guys. Yeah, just stay. Enjoy your quarantine. What were we saying? We we just went off on a really long tangent. Let me let me look back at the notes. 
So yeah, everybody said that Santilli's footage was fake, and um, years later he admitted that most of it was entirely fake, but he insisted that real footage existed, but due to its poor condition he had to recreate it. So he said that he saw real footage and he had to like remake it because it was so bad. So it was basically a skit. Yeah, basically like an SNL skit. <laughs> yes. I mean, without the laugh tracks. Yeah, without the laugh tracks. Because it's not funny. It was an autopsy. Autopsies aren't supposed to be funny. Unless. No, they are not supposed to be funny. <laughs> okay. Theory number two. And this one's like really kind of sketched to me. Dummy drops. Sounds like good medication for children. <laughs> okay. So, in the 1950s, lots of skepticism began to grow around the Roswell incident. Like, nobody really believed what the government's explanation was. Um, and the Air Force was conducting a series of dummy drops over at air, air bases and on lots of test ranges and unoccupied fields in New Mexico. Okay? So, um, in these experiments, these dummy drops, they were meant to test ways of for pilots to survive what falls from high altitudes. That doesn't explain the tinfoil. Okay, wait, it, it kind of does. So the Air Force claimed, and people who knew about the dummy drops claimed, that they sent bandaged, featureless dummies with latex skin and aluminum bones. I don't know why I just said bones in a Canadian accent. Bones. Bones. <laughs> so yeah, they claimed that they sent like, latex and like aluminum like dummies, they threw them out of planes. Like, would this still be like aluminum foil or just like straight up aluminum? Like, straight up aluminum, not like aluminum foil. I don't think they had somebody in the base like that was in charge of making aluminum like tin foil bones. Even though I love that job, like, it's it sounds like an arts and crafts dream. But, anyways, that doesn't explain the tin foil. So, yeah, they said that they, like, the dummies were made out of latex and aluminum bones and they looked a lot like space aliens, according to some people. So they would drop them, and they would fall onto the ground, and after they, like, fell from the sky, a ton of military vans and vehicles descended on the landing sites, and they retrieved the bodies. So it's basically, like, something falls out of the sky, you see all these government vans swarm it, and take it away. It's a government cover-up, but it, they just left scraps. Okay. So, like, that's, like, one theory that people had. It could have been a failed dummy drop that they couldn't, like, locate, like, where the, like, dummy fell, and then, like, Mac just happened to find it. That's kind of creepy, though, just finding a dummy. And, like, if that's the case, it just shows that the Air Force was doing a terrible, like, job at, like, these dummy drops that they couldn't locate, like, where it landed. Like, what the hell, Air Force? <laughs> yeah, to be fair, they were probably waiting for the sound of music to come out. They had higher priorities. So, yeah, to the people that believe that the government covered this up, they thought that the dummy drops were, like, obviously suspicious. And even people who don't think that it was a cover-up, like, why are you guys dropping so many dummies? Like, why are you guys doing this? And why aren't they telling anyone? So, yeah, some people are convinced that the dummies were actually extraterrestrial creatures who were kidnapped and experimented on by the government. I don't agree with that last part, because that makes no sense. What? It's like, I, I captured an alien, I'm going to throw him out of the plane, and then I'm going to forget where he landed. No. Yeah, that part doesn't make sense, but I don't know. It's possible that the government was, like, doing some weird dummy drops and they forgot where they dropped their things. But I don't think they would forget where they dropped, like, an alien or an alien ship. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Theory number three, and this is our um, longest theory, so I saved it for last, 
It's Project Mogul. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. So, um, Project Mogul. The army knew like about like the, the materials that were found on the farm, but they couldn't really tell anybody. Okay, that's like the theory. Okay. In the beginning of World War II, a group of geophysicists and oceanographers from Columbia University and, and New York University and the Woods Ocean Oceanographic Institution on Cape Cod had been working on a top-secret atomic espionage project at New Mexico's airfield, and they called it Project Mobile. Okay, so that was a lot of words, but basically, like, all these smart people, brainiacs from NYU, Columbia, um, and this oceanographic, oceanographic, I don't know, guys, <laughs> institution, were working on something together. And it was top secret. And they were testing it in, oh, I can't say it, guys, the Gordo airfield. Okay? They were testing it there in an airfield in New Mexico. Okay? Project Mogul, Mogul um, used sturdy high-altitude balloons to carry low-frequency sounds, sound sensors, into the tropopause. And um, that's, like, a really high-up part of Earth's atmosphere. Okay? So, like, they were sending these, like, really sturdy, high-altitude balloons into the atmosphere. And they had microphones on them. Wait, what? What were they supposed to do? Just record, like... Wait, wait, wait. I'll get to that part. Okay. So, like, because they were so high up, they were supposed to act as, like, sound channels. Okay, so in the part of the atmosphere that these balloons were supposed to fly, sound waves can travel for thousands of miles without interference, just like under the ocean. Like, the pings that you hear under the ocean sometimes. So scientists believed that if um, they sent microphones into this sound channel, they would be able to eavesdrop on nuclear tests as far away as the Soviet Union, because this was World War II. Okay, so this is the point of, like, why they did it. That kind of makes sense, but, like, they're not weather balloons. They were high-altitude balloons. So they're better than weather balloons. Yeah, like, weather balloons, I don't even know. Are weather balloons supposed to detect the weather or something? But these balloons, high-altitude, all they were supposed to do was go up and carry the microphone. Were they big balloons? Probably. They're, like, supposed to go really high up. I would assume that they're big. But yeah. Oh, I have a little fun fact. I'll start over. Did you, did you know that the Project Mogul team invented a number of high-tech materials for its balloon and other equipment, inclu- including ultra-lightweight and ultra-strong metals? They also invented fiber optic, optic cables and fireproof fabric. Like this one that you get with like your horizon and stuff? Yeah, so like they invented a lot of cool things that were ahead of their time. So because they invented these things, it could like add to the theory that, hey, this was what Mac found. He found like all this high-tech stuff that was like top secret because the government didn't want people to know like, hey, we're eavesdropping on the Soviet Union. Yeah, that really makes sense. Yeah. So like it didn't look or behave like anything that he'd ever seen because it was just invented and it was high-tech and it was just really protected by the government. They didn't want it to get out. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's, like, a theory. But in 1994, the Pentagon declassified most of its files on Project Mogul and the dummy drops, and the Federal General Accounting Office produced a report, the report of Air Force research regarding the Roswell incident, designed to debunk these rumors. And most of the rumors were debunked that people had 
as to like what happened after this. But some people still believe that aliens landed in Roswell. What do you think after hearing this? Aliens landing in Roswell is like highly unlikely, and it could have just been a result of Project Mogul. I don't know, I still think, I don't think aliens landed in Roswell. I think that there was like a lot of different things that the government was trying to keep secret. But I think that, you know, it's really possible that aliens have tried to visit us and that we've like encountered extraterrestrial life in some way. And, you know, we're going to cover that like different like scenarios like this one in the future episodes. Yeah, because you never know. You really never know. So, yeah. That's it from us, guys. Check out the Instagram and the Twitter at Inspector Sisters on Instagram and at Inspector Sisters at Twitter. And we'll see you next week. Keep it spooky. Bye. Bye.